Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. to another Thursdays with uh, Mary Langston and some very modest contributions from Trey. I don't know about you, but 2023 went uh, quickly and uh, here we are on the precipice of a new year. So as we say goodbye to the previous year, we wanted to take a look at or a listen to, to be more precise, a few of the very thought-provoking questions that you had. Uh, who knows what Cleo, uh, the muse of history from Greek mythology, will record from 2023 when it's all said and done. What seemed important at the time may not be important in the grand scheme of things, but history was made. It was made with a contentious race for speaker. Actually, that should be races, plural, for speaker, as the House GOP spent a considerable amount of time last year battling itself. And then there was the brutal attack by Hamas, which led to what is an ongoing war in the Middle East and Republican presidential primary debates and bizarre Grammy performances, although that phrase may be redundant. Uh, TikTok trends that had us all sort of uh, thinking about the Roman Empire, at least those of us who don't think about the Roman Empire on a regular basis. You had timely questions which illustrated uh, several things, including the power of critical reasoning and reminded us again of the power of asking questions and that it gets us closer to the truth. So let's listen to a few. We'll start with a question from Robert, and he writes, what are your thoughts on the State of the Union? Well, Robert, um, it's an exciting night in Washington. I'll get the good news out of the way first. It is an exciting night. I mean, members bring guests. Um, I remember I used to have a writing contest for youngsters, uh, junior high, high school. They would write um, the topic being, I am principled, but polite. Um, it's kind of on civility. And then I would have a group kind of judge that. They were all great. Um, and then I would give my ticket to a young person uh, that, in my judgment, had earned it. It's what I started off doing, and then uh, with the wisdom that can only come from Washington, D.C., they consider that to be a gift, giving a gift. So um, they, weren't, uh, they weren't sure whether I could have a writing contest to reward a junior high or high school student with going to the State of the Union. So then you fall back to the you know inviting some celebrity or someone else, which um, – that's a whole nother I, it just was mind numbing uh, their analysis. But be that as it may, it's an exciting night. The floor is packed with you know House and Senate members. It's exceedingly rare that the House and the Senate meet together, but they do on that night. They got cabinet level officials, Supreme Court justices. I mean, it is 
really something to behold uh, right up until the time the speech begins. And I'm not sure that the State of the Union really, I mean, just to be blunt about it, it may have passed the point of usefulness. Mm. I mean, the audience isn't Congress anymore. It's the American people. And frankly, you can do that from anywhere. If you want to address the American people, you don't have to come to Congress to do it. Um, You give kind of a platform for, in some instances, the worst behaved members of Congress, which is, you know, like never, that should never be the goal to give a platform or attention uh, to those who so desperately want attention. So if the purpose is to kind of give the American people a sense of where the country is, we have 24 hour news cycles now. Most people have their own sense of where the country is. So, I mean, maybe in the old days when people didn't follow it because they were you know, working and raising families and all this stuff. And, you know, the newspaper was your only source of, in- of, of information. Maybe it did make sense, I guess, possibly for the commander in chief to say, hey, this is what's going on. I just don't think people need that anymore. So really, the speech is about either getting or retaining a majority of your party in Congress so you can get whatever it is you want to get done Uh, for presidents. It's about getting a second term. If you're in your first term, if you're in your second term, it's about what people call legacy, which is a word I can't stand. But um, but that's what it's about. What's my legacy there? Always these obligatory references to the troops and veterans and teachers and mom and things that get everybody on their feet. And then the rest of the speech, honestly, from sitting there on the floor is the is just deciding whether to stand up and clap or not. Um, mm-hmm. So the guys that I, you know, I sat with Tim for all of them where I was there. And, you know, I mean, it's just I, I mean, I hate to be so cynical, but. Uh, there was one night when the media thought the world would literally change if a Republican sat next to a Democrat on that night and that night only. So I don't know if you remember that, Mary Lancaster or not. There was this push to have a bipartisan state of the union for Republicans and Democrats to sit beside one another, which, by the way, we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we suffer from sitting beside each other, but to the media, which always, always puts form over substance. We just need a bipartisan State of the Union. And so they did that. Uh, Republicans and Democrats sat together and not anything changed, by the way, if you're wondering. It was completely symbolic. And then there was the one time during the State of the Union where some House Democrats decided that they were going to all dress in white, all wear white. Mm -hmm. And that was all the buzz. And, of course, that, too, I don't mean to spoil the ending for people, but that, too, accomplished nothing. Um, who would have figured that wearing a certain colored dress or pair of pants or shirt would accomplish absolutely nothing? Wow. That was shocking that uh, the whole country didn't change because everybody wore the same color, but it did not. So D.C. likes symbolism. The State of the Union is a symbol. It's a relic, if you will. Um, I don't care. Presidents keep doing it or not. Um, we hear from presidents uh, quite a lot now. And whether it continues or not, I think has zero impact on the republic. I think it's important to to hear from your leaders, but they all have social media fees now. I mean, you can hear from them a lot more than you want to hear from them. So I think it's something that has passed its kind of usefulness date or use by date. 
But I don't know, Mary Langston. Sometimes people think I'm cynical. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that. And thank you, Robert, sure, for the question. I'm sure you are thrilled with my answer to that. Well, you're right. There's a lot of noise in the world. And I think you're right that there used to be a quiet moment where they would have the State of the Union and we would hear from the president, but we hear from them all the time. So that was a good point. Uh, well, thank you. And not only, and see, this is the other thing, not to go down a rabbit hole, but you know, one of my, I don't have that many pet peeves in life, but one of my pet peeves in life is when other people can draw a crowd and then you use that crowd for your own benefit. And mm -hmm. you see it in politics. You see, you know, I mean, let's, let me pick a member of Congress. I don't, I don't care who you pick, pick a member of Congress. They have a town hall. So people are coming to interact with and question and listening to that member of Congress. But someone mistakenly thinks that they that whole crowd's there for them. So they try to monopolize. They can't draw a crowd themselves. So they're taking advantage of someone else's ability to draw a crowd. And you see that sometimes with the State of the Union. It is, you know, like it or not, you may like the president. You may not like the president. You may like what he or she says. You may not like what he or she says. But it is the State of the Union address by the president. And to use that as a forum to draw attention to yourself is just to me juvenile. So I better stop right there. <laughs> well, good point. Thank you so much, Trey. Our next question is from Justin, and he writes, what did you think about the Grammys and all of the controversy? Oh, Justin, what did I think about the Grammy? I haven't watched the Grammys since, uh, well, since ever. Um, <laughs> if you gave me a thousand years to come up with something I care less about than the Grammys, I actually couldn't do it. I mean, literally, if you said, hey, look, Trey, take the next thousand years and see if you can think of something you care less about than the Grammys. I could not do it. Mm. I'm sure there are talented people being recognized, and that's great, I guess. But I would rather watch grass grow than watch the Grammys. I mean, mm. it's not even close. I'd much rather watch grass grow. This year, I didn't watch it, obviously, as you might could possibly glean from my introductory remarks. I did not watch it. But I did read some articles about a singer that I don't want to disappoint you, Mary Langston, but I've never heard of mm. who dressed up like the devil or Satan or Lucifer or whatever you want to call him. And that sort of, to me, encapsulates Hollywood and the entertainment industry, at least for me, this insatiable desire to be noticed, not just for the words or music or talent, if that's the right word, but to be noticed for being provocative. Uh, whether it's the way they dress or what they say, or in this guy's case, who he dresses up as. To me, it's a little bit like the Super Bowl. To me, it's a football game. It's not about the commercials. It's not about the halftime show. It's a football game, and which is the sure sign in the world that I've become an old man. Because I just, I, I, I want to watch a football game. Mm. I do not want, I don't care if a Dorito can talk. Because I'm almost positive they cannot. Almost. So the Grammys, it's not about music. It's about can we stun you? Can we shock you? So I'll put that in one category is completely irrelevant and uh, of no consequence to my life at all. And I'm really, really happy that I haven't seen it. What I did find interesting was CBS. 
because right before this uh, singer, if that's the right word, went on stage uh, dressed like the devil, surrounded by demons, CBS sent out a tweet, something along the lines of, are you ready to worship? Mm. All right. So that to me seems like a pretty direct affront uh, to people who identify as Christians. I mean, using the word worship before some guy in a red suit with horns performs surrounded by a bunch of people who look like um, Legion, which is the name of a demon that Jesus cast out, for those of you who may be familiar with the New Testament. I mean, that, why? I mean, is the song not good enough by itself that you got to, like, dress up like Lucifer? Is the music not good enough? The lyrics not good enough? You need to get some guy most of us have never heard of to dress up like the devil. And then it kind of led me to think about this whole cancel culture debate that's going on. I mean, CBS literally went out of its way to insult people of faith, out of its way to do it. Worship? I mean, what does that word mean to you? Worship. You use that word a lot, Mary Langston. You're a devout, and not just devout, authentic believer. Mm. Worship. That word has a very direct meaning to people like you, people like my wife, people like Sharia, people like many, many of our listeners who are devoutly spiritual. That word has a very, very precise meaning. It's a specific word. I mean, they could have said, are you ready to watch some guy who can't dance move around to a song where the words don't make any sense? They could have tweeted that. That would have been like a much more accurate description of what was coming. Mm. They could have said that, but they did not. They chose the word worship. And then, of course, they deleted the tweet. So that's got me one. I mean, is it cancel culture if people of faith go out of their way to avoid CBS from now on? Stop watching. Stop buying the products advertised. I mean, from what I've read about this guy, and again, I didn't watch a second of it. I have no clue who he is. That's probably a generational thing, Mary Langston. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, everybody knows who he is. No, I don't. I don't know who he is. So I don't know anything about him. I'd be kind of surprised if uh, the devil even watched him because, I mean, he wasn't that good. I'd be surprised. But the notion that an award ceremony or a network would go out of its way to insult people of faith it's pretty astonishing. Mm. And I wonder if they say, like, let's, let's get ready to worship right before a Christian artist performs. I mean, I, I doubt it. Mm. So that's a long way of saying um, I am very happy that I don't watch or care about the Grammys. I do care when a network goes out of its way to insult Christians, not for myself, because it doesn't impact me. But for people like my wife, or you, Mary Langston, or the believers who listen, it's gratuitous, it's intentional, it's mean-spirited, it's wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if people let CBS know that by avoiding whatever it is they're offering. Mm, well, well said, Trey. And thank you, Justin, for your well, question. Well, I don't know if it's well said or not. I didn't watch a second of it. I just, mm -hmm. uh, there's a reason I don't watch it. I just, going out of your way, you know, not to get on the soapbox. And again, mm -hmm. I'm the farthest thing from a prude in the world. I, I literally am the farthest thing from a prude in the world. I, it's got nothing to do with me. You really, you cannot hurt my feelings. 
But people of faith like you and my wife who have to sit there and listen to GD all the time or listen to Jesus's name taken in vain in movies and television shows, and they don't care whether they're offending people. They don't care. Mm. So, you know, and then to, to have to have a guy dressed up like Lucifer. I mean, is that like a joke to them? They think it's funny. You can't change them, but you know, obviously CBS caught some flat for it, or they deleted the tweet, but that's not enough. I mean, you ought to think about that before you send the tweet. What, what did you think the reaction was going to be? Let's get ready to worship when you got some chubby singer out there dressed up like Satan, surrounded by demons. What did you think people were going to react? How, how do you think they were going to react? So... I, I better move on. If there's another question, I better move on to it because I don't want to mm -hmm. take like the next six weeks talking about mm -hmm. that. Well, thank you, Trey. And that was well said. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Our next question is from Ernie in Texas. He writes, what do you think of the new speaker, Mike Johnson? Speaker Mike Johnson, um, Ernie from the great state of Texas, uh, he is a wonderful person. He is smart and thoughtful and humble. He was a delight to serve with. We were um, not there for a super long time together, but we were on judiciary, very, very prepared, uh, measured. I don't want to say understated, but understated. Um, he's you know been on our TV show a few times since we left. He's just a good, decent person who happens to be in public service for the right reasons. So that's Mike Johnson from the great state of Louisiana. The speaker, Mike Johnson has a really hard job. Uh, my guess is he knew that ahead of time, but it is being confirmed for him right now. Uh, to be the leader, folks have to be willing to follow. And that, I mean, if you, <laughs> what was it the old speaker used to say? If you're a leader and nobody is following, then you're just a guy or a gal out for a walk. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, you're just out for a walk because there's nobody following you. So leaders have to have people willing to accept their leadership and and therefore follow. Uh, and that is hard with some elements of the current GOP conference. And it's hard in a in a in our current political cultural environment where if you have Twitter or X or whatever you call it, you can criticize the Speaker of the House and get traction because this is the way the game is played. Somebody that you and I've never heard of before, Mary Langston, and for usually for pretty good reason. We just never heard of them. They criticize Mike Johnson. They criticize him from the right that he, I mean, he's been there, what, a week? <laughs> that he's not whatever enough. And that gets traction usually from publications on the left 
because the left wants to use dissent to sow the seeds of discord. And they're great at doing it. And oh, by the way, people on the right are great at aiding and abetting that. I've said it a million times. Well, maybe not a million because that's a lot. But I used to say it back to young members of the House. If you want to make a little bit of news, uh, criticize the other side. If you want to make a lot of news, criticize your own team. And now you don't have to tell people that because they figured it out. Uh, The ones that crave fame. Here's the last thing I'll say to Ernie from the great state of Texas. Um, It is worth noting, or let me just say this, it did not escape my attention. Let's phrase it that way. Whether or not you think it's worth noting or not is up to you. It did not escape my attention that Mike Johnson consistently supported Kevin McCarthy. He voted for him for speaker. He opposed the motion to vacate. He was not one of the eight. He's Going to have to do a short-term CR, just like his predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, did. It cost Kevin McCarthy his job. It, it will not and should not cost Mike Johnson his job. But then again, it should never have cost Kevin his either. What it does illustrate to me is the sheer sophistry, the sheer hypocrisy of those who, in fact, removed Kevin. Now, what does that have to do with Mike Johnson? It's the same cast, and there may be a brief honeymoon period, but the moment they believe that they can sacrifice you for their own political expediency, for their own higher ambitions, and many of these eight have higher ambitions, many of them, uh, then they're going to do so. If you go back and look, and I happen to do it, you go back to the day that Kevin was Removed, and you hear the complaints on the floor of the house, the kind of manufactured excuses for, I mean, you certainly can't say, I'm removing someone because I personally don't like them. You can't say that. So you have to manufacture reasons. One of the reasons manufactured was that Kevin was, you know, bought and paid for by lobbyists and fundraisers. Well, you go, go, go check the contributions of, of the eight and see how many of them also take money from those same groups. And yet the new speaker is using the exact same fundraiser that Kevin McCarthy used. So nothing changed there, nor should it have changed there. The speaker's job is to keep the majority. That requires money. It requires fundraising. People on that that gang of eight, they don't raise money for the whole conference. They don't raise money for other people. They raise money for themselves. Somebody's got to raise money for the larger family, for people that are in really tough districts. And Kevin was great at that. Mike will in time become, I think, good at that if they're patient with him and giving time. But the notion that somehow there's some fiscal purity with with the new regime is, again, the word of sophistry. Uh, then there was, you know, the, the eight said they oppose Speaker McCarthy, because he did not send a subpoena to Hunter Biden. Uh, Well, neither has anybody else, and they still have not. And they probably won't. And it won't matter if they do. He's not going to come. He's not going to produce documents. He's not going to be held in contempt. Just as some on the right refused to cooperate with Democrat investigations, and they were not held in contempt. So, Ernie, to put a bow on it, Mike will do very, very, very well um, if they leave him alone and give him just the smallest modicum of grace in a job that never should have been open in the first place. 
because they refused to extend that grace to his predecessor. And so you asked me about Mike Johnson. Let me tell you a little something about Kevin McCarthy. It'd be easier to get bitter. It'd be easy to say, why did y'all do this to me? And you're not going to do it to him. And to know Kevin McCarthy is to know that that thought has not crossed his mind. It was wrong to do to him. It is therefore wrong to do to anyone else. He does not want to see the same thing happen to other people that happened to him. So it's a hard job. He will keep it so long as that little small incorrigible group within the GOP conference thinks it's politically advantageous to hang on to him. And when they don't, they will um, put themselves ahead of everyone else like they did um, in early October of this year. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Ernie, for your question. I do have one silly question for you, Trey. Is it okay if I ask you? Besides well, that question, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to hear it first. I mean, okay. So, your idea of silly and my idea of silly are two entirely different things, but but it's pretty silly. But I'm sure okay. Abigail's probably asked you this question. But there's a question that people are asking one another right now, all over, and it's kind of going crazy. So the question is, and I think I know the answer. Well, can, is, I, can I stop you right there for a second? Yes, go ahead. When you say people are asking one another all over, yes, it makes me think that I must live under a rock <laughs> because I think I, you know what it is. I don't. I don't know what the question is. <laughs> okay, well, you ready to find out? Yeah, fire away. Okay, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> that's a, that's a question that is like dominating people's consciousness in the United States? It actually is. How often do I think about the Roman Empire? I would probably say once a month um, would be would be the max. I thought about it a ton this time last year because I was watching a miniseries on Rome. Mm-hmm. I think about Latin from time to time. And when I think about Latin, I think about Rome, the Roman Empire, uh, the, the Ryder Cup is being played in Italy this weekend. So that, you know, would make you think actually even like parts of Great Britain made me think about just how vast the Roman Empire was. And of course, you're a very spiritual person. Um, Christ lived under Roman rule. So I'd say once a month, but I just I would love to know how drunk or how high somebody had to be to come up with that question. Well, it's pretty funny. They're asking it all over. I think even Dana and Bill were asked the same question, but they're finding that a lot of males think about it more often than females, which isn't super surprising. Um, But wanted to ask you that because I figured you thought about it at some point. Well, I do. But to to me, I I would want to know. First of all, when you think of the Roman Empire, do you really have the right empire? Are you thinking (laughs) about Alexander the Great? Are you thinking about King Nebuchadnezzar? Are you you really like thinking about the right empire? I mean, I would not be surprised because people know that the Roman Empire was incredibly vast and huge and powerful, and yet it failed. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if people may not say, okay, what caused that empire that was 
so big and powerful to fail and could that happen to the united states but again i would think people ask more questions and think about taylor swift (laughs) ten thousand times for every one time they think about the roman empire (laughs) who knows well how often do you think about it um very rarely definitely not once a month you mean like you thought about it when you studied it in high school and not since then (laughs) i have thought about it since then you know when things come up like you said like italy there's a tournament there or when we went to israel those kinds of things kind of jog my thoughts on it but other than that it doesn't really just come into my mind like it may for you or for somebody else well you went to israel a little over a year ago (laughs) you would not enjoy any part of the miniseries rome you would not make it for through the opening credits so (laughs) i don't i don't know well did you read i claudius i did yeah we read that i mean that was sharia's recommendation wasn't it it was we actually need to get another book going we'll have to ask her I don't know why she was mad at us and wanted us to be I <laughs> Claudius, but but it was so, pretty I mean, long. Yeah, you read that. That was interesting. That's Roman Empire. So that's right. Well, I just wanted to end on that silly note, but there all there's also you know the component of we can think about it and how it applies today too. So thank you, you know, for answering my silly question. Well, no, I, it is just a yet another reminder of how grateful I am that I am not on social media. <laughs> I don't know these TikTok challenges that, you know, half the people die that try them. I'm glad I don't know about those because I might try them. I don't oh, know what don't questions are trending. I didn't know that Taylor Swift went to see Travis Kelsey play a football game until I read it online. I just, I don't keep up with that stuff. That did explode all over the place. So do me a favor. If the world ends, just send me a text because I won't know about it if it's on social media. Okay. (laughs) That sounds like a plan, but we're going to hope that doesn't happen. Send me a thumbs down emoji. (laughs) We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Our last question from Connie in Georgia. She writes, what in the new book was the most challenging to write? Mm, That's a good question. Um, Probably writing about the times you do not succeed or you have, at least according to other people, lost or failed um, is hard because you have to relive what could have been or what might have been or what should have been. And you can't do anything about it. And I'm not like super big on dwelling on things that I cannot change. I mean, there's there are people who do that all day, every day. That's all they want to do. And I can't if I can't fix it, then I mean, I can learn from it. But it didn't do any good to to like dig up those bones over and over and over again. So it is hard to acknowledge that you missed an opportunity that won't ever come back around. 
again, it was hard writing about leaving the prosecutor's office because, you know, I love that job. And, you know, anytime there's a high profile case and I'll catch a glimpse of it on television, I mean, I don't ever like wish I was back on the floor of uh, the House. I don't ever like sit around thinking, oh, gosh, I wish I could clerk for a federal judge again. I do sit around and think I'd love to be prosecuting that case. Mm. But uh, it's too steep of an admission price. So, you know, as I write about in the book, it doesn't happen to everybody, but it you know happened to me. You lose something that you're not ever going to get back, and that's hard to accept. So, mm. um, but kind of the over arching thing I think about, I think a lot of people that write books um, probably aspire for it to be what's called a bestseller. That was is not what motivates me. I, I did want to write a best helper, not a bestseller, but a best helper. Mm. I wanted to write something to help people with their lives. So because um, one like I one shot at it. So, you know, whatever mistakes I made, they can learn from. And that was uh I wouldn't say it's hard, man. So, some of it's hard. It's hard to know you walk down a road you're never going to walk down again. I mean, but you can't dwell on it. Uh, all you got is the windshield. It's every good. It's good every now and again. Take a look back in the rearview mirror just to make sure nobody's following you too closely. But got to focus on the windshield. So that was a hard part. You had to do a lot of rearview mirror time writing this book. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure Mary Langston. All of it was hard to read, I'm sure, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. And it will help people. And I'm sure it's already helping people. And that's a great perspective to have, not for the bestseller list, but to actually help people. You know, there are only really two people I can think of. You know, when my friends call me and they ask me about the book, the first question they have is, am I in it? (laughs) But you never asked that. And Terry never asked that. (laughs) But, uh Radcliffe is mad at me because there's not a, like an index or a glossary of terms in the back where he can just find his name and go to those pages. He doesn't want to <laughs> read all of it to find the stuff about him. <laughs> he just wants to know what page he's on. That's all he cares about is what pages am I on? I, I, I doubt McCarthy would verbalize it that way, but he, <laughs> might, he might also think that. But you and Terry have never said, hey, what pages am I on? Maybe you could find the page of Radcliffe and sign his copy on that page or something. Uh, No, he's going to need to read it all. (laughs) He's going to need to read it all. But thank you, Connie, for uh, that question. Mm -hmm. And um, and thank you, Mary Langston, for allowing me to be your guest on (laughs) another one of your podcasts. Well, thank you for letting me be on your podcast. And thank you all for all your questions. We always look forward to it. If you'd like to hear the full episode of the questions featured, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And you are welcome and encouraged to leave us a review. Just be nice to Mary Langston and be uh, candid and uh, and honest uh, about me. Thank you for listening to the Trey Gotti Podcast. I'm hoping you all have a safe and joyous new year, and we will see you in 2024, God willing. 